0: Eva Wichmann, she's in Poland. Yes. You're in Poland, right?
1: Yes, I'm in Poland.
0: <clears throat> Do you have an, an excuse for that? Like a really good excuse?
1: Yes, this is a very good place to uh, invite another trainers for Possibility Lab, Poland.
0: In Poland. Yes, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is part of the art form that we're working on is developing really good excuses. So we'll have to keep practicing. Divyam Shio, we're started already. Actually the recording's going, oh my God. Okay, no more sleazy side conversations because the red dot is blipping on the side of the screen. And for all of history until until the magnetic storm wipes the memory banks clean. This will be recorded for posterity. Does anyone would like to say anything besides, hello, mom, something else besides that? Anybody like to share something? You have to invent something. I mean, this is the moment where we get to share something.
2: Okay, I share something. I finished my script yesterday for Future Shaping.
0: Yay.
2: Yeah. And I, go, Amba.
0: To- huh? I said, go, Amber, go. Yeah.
2: And I gave it to four people and they're going to edit it. Well, they're going to. What?
0: Don't believe a word they say. The first book I ever wrote, I gave it to 15 friends. And I said, could you give me some feedback? And they thought, oh yeah, we're gonna really help this guy. And so they got out their red pens and each one of them filled them up with red marks all over my my manuscript. And I get 15 manuscripts back, all filled with red marks that all contradict each other. And I went into such a liquid state, I didn't write another thing for three years. And that book, forget it just disappeared so you have to be careful about letting anybody see your stuff really you should just publish it there are people who will love you and it's usually not editors
2: well three of them are magis- ma- magicians
0: okay <laughs> we're going to we're going to wish you luck
2: <laughs> thank you and Thank you for I telling us. You don't have to take it seriously all. So
0: no, no. No, good, good work though. You know, the publishers say, you know, you've got nothing till you have something finished. So you have a finished script. So congratulations. Thank you for telling us. It's party time. Yes. <laughs> I bet, how are we doing with the new member of the human race over there?
3: I'm very happy. I'm very happy she's sleeping. So and really deep sleep, I think, I assume. So I can be in the call. <laughs> so she's
0: okay. She's doing great.
3: Yeah, she's growing too fast.
0: Why too fast? Does she like uh, ice cream?
3: <laughs> yeah, she's I don't know. I I am I'm afraid I cannot keep up to her pace. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. (laughs) You were probably like that for your mother.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think so. Yeah, she's she's really cute.
0: She's
3: really lovely.
4: Wow.
0: Thank you. I think
3: she's cuter than
5: I was.
0: (laughs) 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 Thank you. Any other sharing news? happening stuff happening
6: yes i yesterday last last monday you talked about splitting your attention like your center grounding cord bubble space and something else and i started splitting my attention two folds and i have this mark here i don't know if you can see it there's a little v today every day is a new mark or somewhere on my wrist or hand and every time i look at it okay my center and hold the attention in the center, hold the attention in the center, and after a minute or two, it's already gone again. And I realized that the I I refresh the attention on it more often. This is what's where I'm at right now, after a week. Like at the beginning was maybe two times a day, and now it's I don't know, 40 times a day. I oh okay, and put attention in the center center again. And thank you. I'm, yes, working on it.
0: Yay.
7: So so aside from my fear of Gabriel getting poisoned by all the ink that's on his hands, the pirates have landed in Tulum and we've already caused a storm. We held space for five women to explore conscious anger in the, the... in the in the storm of the spiritual woo woo we have ushered five brave souls out into the unknown and it was a it was such a it was a beautiful beautiful space and i grew and i was i'm just i'm proud that dora and i could hold space for five women and that that we could hold that that was very special for me and and i, and I honor door for his abilities in space with women really beautiful thank you
0: <clears throat> okay we're about to enter this section 6J on page 133 called Heal Yourself of Beliefs. I was working on a website called Eight Prisons lately. It's still not together yet, but the prisons are, are what's between a human being and adulthood, and uh, they're frameworks or contexts or game worlds or part of it has to do with our beliefs. So it's so powerful the way the brain has this capacity or maybe a necessity to grab onto certain constructs as if they're real and true and to manipulate them around but the reverse actually happens, like we get manipulated by these things that we're holding on to. And so one of the beliefs of one of the prisons is the beliefs and traditions and customs and prejudices of your birth culture. That's one of the prisons. And another one of them is the beliefs and traditions of your, of your birth religion, like the religion that most of the people around you as when you're born have, and it's this field so we're diving in here together because, because if, if a person like one of us, if we're holding on to a set of beliefs, we're holding on to beliefs, then that serves as a buffer zone between us and the present or us and reality because reality does not come with beliefs. And so if we're trying to be in extraordinary relationship and yet, we're trapped in a field that's separated from the present or separated from reality because of this belief buffer. We're so disconnected from the people and, and the environment around us that being in extraordinary relationship is essentially impossible. And so it's a huge barrier to overcome, to face into our beliefs. And so let's see what the guy wrote about healing yourself of beliefs. He said, beliefs act with powerful force in ordinary human relationship because in ordinary human relationship, beliefs are regarded as having validity. Beliefs are regarded as having validity. The usual, although often unspoken justification for beliefs is that they can serve as a crutch to supply weak minds with at least something to hold on to. But beliefs do not actually provide anything to hold on to because any person can believe anything about anything. Any person can believe anything about anything. For instance, villagers on one side of a mountain can believe that the most sacred and holy thing in the world is a hot dog and that the proper way to pay respects to this most holy of objects is to sing daily prayers of praise to the hot dog. For them, the greatest sin would be to eat a hot dog. The villagers on the other side of the mountain might believe that the most sacred and holy thing in the world is also a hot dog, but that the true and righteous way to honor the sacred hot dog is to eat it in the company of friends with relish. The greatest sin is to waste the hot dog by not eating it. Which belief is true? How could one belief be true if a, if a contradictory belief is also true. This is the insanity of beliefs. Beliefs justify their irrationality by including in the fine print below the belief, in the fine print, the following stipulation. Here's my belief and any contradictory belief is wrong." Unquote. Each belief guards its own validity by disenfranchising all other beliefs. This is all fine and dandy as long as the two kinds of villagers stay away from each other. But when villagers who consider their beliefs to be, quote unquote, the one true way, encounter villagers of a different persuasion, they must regard the others as infidels, blasphemers, and enemies of the faith. The almost unavoidable result of a meeting between villagers who regard their beliefs as reality is war. Look at human history. In a world that is actually as wide and free as the sky, beliefs act like bumpers and clappers in a closed-in pinball machine game. Boing men cannot feel. Ping, ping, children should be seen and not heard. Tuck, 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 Fords are better than than Chevys. Fords are better than Chevrolets. Mercedes are better than BMWs. East is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. Ding, 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 ding. Women are unstable and should only work in the back office. Boing, boing, I am not allowed to do that. Clang, clang our way is right, their way is wrong, tilt, and so on. Any phrase you speak or think that begins with, we have to, or I cannot, or you must, or we never, is a positional stance that may be coming directly from a belief. There is a big difference between a belief and a way that we think. You may say, I believe when what you really mean to say is I think, or my best guess is, or based on my experience, I conclude that, and, or an experiment I'm trying is. An important experiment is to check your use of the word belief. You may regard a belief as if it causes a reality to come into existence. Actually, the opposite is true beliefs block you from being able to use the parts of reality that lay on the other side of your belief a belief is a scab on the mind that provides you with a ready-made answer when there actually is none you get that this is a this is an amazing thing i don't know it says it so it's just like you got to get a picture that I, what you see around you is what is painted on the inside of your box your box is your psychological survival strategy and you're not actually seeing the world what you see out there is what's painted on the inside of your box it's this huge filter and when there is a part of the box where there's a question like who where did the sun come from or what happens when i die or which is better, Coca-Cola or Pepsi? You know, there's this, there's this no answer. There's an, and so what happens is if we take a belief and we put a, like a plaster, a Band-Aid over the hole with this belief, and then we have an answer. So, then, so this is what beliefs are usually used for, is to cover over unanswerable questions with some kind of answer. So the box thrives on ready-made answers. Take, for example, death. We have no answer to the question, what happens after I die? The box feels out out of order when it has no answer and the box would rather have any answer than no answer at all. Having no answer leaves an unprotected gap inside the box's defenses. You get that? If you have no answer, you're, you're undefended. That is why myriads of beliefs about what happens after we die have been invented. If we use a belief to answer the question about death, for example, either a standard off the wall, off the shelf belief, or something more customized, then whenever we come around to questions about death, we do not have to stand in a doorway open to freezing cold answerlessness. The box pulls out the appropriate belief, slaps it over the opening, case closed. Next question, please. If the belief is torn off of the inside of your box, it reveals this, a wound. The wound is a rejection of the raw experience of being faced with not knowing. The wound occurred in some previous circumstance when the box decided That it was not okay to not know. So, probably if you looked at your history, probably in school, you will find a decision that you made in some stressful situation where you decided it is not okay to not know. The difficulty with using a belief to avoid experiencing that you do not know is that sometimes it is irrefutably the case that you do not know. Healing yourself of beliefs involves modifying the design of your box so as to be okay with the experience of not knowing. One of the first blockades to entering extraordinary human relationship is your personal internal jungle of beliefs. So this is a blockade to entering extraordinary relationship, this jungle of beliefs. Each person's belief jungle includes different species of beliefs, different densities of belief, different ages of beliefs, ancient hardened beliefs, and new young tender beliefs. On your way toward extraordinary human relationship, you have a preparatory job to do to examine each and every one of your beliefs under the clear light of the new perspective that beliefs block reality. Each belief has its own unique purpose, causes its own kind of seeing and thinking, looks for other people with whom to find safety in belief affinity and avoids or attacks enemies of the belief. Take out and inspect the beliefs that you got from your mother. Examine the beliefs that you got from your father. Scrutinize the beliefs you got from school teachers, from religion, from science, from society, from the media. Take each belief out separately and ask yourself questions. Do you need to have this belief? What does this belief do for you? How have you been using this belief? What is the belief's purpose? What does this belief block you from experiencing? What would your life be like if you decided to let this belief dissolve and be washed away downstream? Whose friendship would you lose? What might you gain? You may already know about your belief jungle. You might have already spent years hacking away at belief brambles to clear the landscape for other possibilities. Or this may be your first introduction to the idea that beliefs block reality. This is your first encounter with the idea of beliefs blocking reality. Try not to get offended. Try not to get overwhelmed by the huge number of beliefs and the amount of time such investigation takes. The process takes time and cannot be hurried. Give yourself the time and ask lots of people lots of questions along the way. Try to avoid looking for simple answers. Taking responsibility for the fact that you have fortified the weaker parts of your box with beliefs may require some months or years of work, but it is worth the effort the fewer beliefs you support, the fewer shipwrecked instant intimacies you will experience. I just want to ask, Has anybody here shipwrecked an intimacy on beliefs? Did Anybody, do you ever have that? Either you got shipwrecked or somebody else got shipwrecked on yours. You had that. And how did you, I would like to hear a couple of stories of how you what that did to you. If it was your belief that killed somebody they were not able to be intimate with you or their belief blocked you from being intimate with them, how did, what happened and how did you deal with it? Anybody wanna share that story?
7: Can you hear me? Yes.
0: Yes, we can hear you.
7: Hey. Um, yeah, the Wi Fi is
8: not amazing.
7: And, uh, yeah, oh Yeah, so I I I notice this happening all the time. This um this quality of beliefs blocking intimacy, especially being here in Tulum where most people want to have these beautiful spiritual experiences and then we collide with each other. And I, I notice myself getting, we, like us getting into box battles about what, what is the work and which way should we go and what what should we do next should we go do more yoga and meditation or should we do this other weird emotional work stuff and at some point i you know and this it, it it sort of weaves into the experiment i'm doing about responsibly encoding and decoding messages mm. and it it results in at, su- at some point my awareness coming in stepping in and realizing the box battle is going on and and dropping it and then having a conversation about that with them about the, about the fact that I have a belief and they have a belief and, and, and like asking the question, like, how can we, what can we either, what can we agree on or what, how can we both face this, this battle together? And yeah, that's that's the experiment I'm working on now. And and it's I found myself get stepping into much deeper connection with, with people and dropping my belief that this is what people should be doing. That 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 you know the emotional body work is what people should be doing. And through that deeper connection, allowing more people to come in and experiment with us because they loved the the connection that we had and the intimacy that we were able to share in a moment. And yeah. Thank you.
2: I want to keep on sharing because I, I grew up with a priest as parent and it took me so far that I went into a monastery for one year and there's nothing to argue. There's nothing to say if someone believes, And what it creates is uh, tons and bunch and thousands of young people having just one word, which is, I believe. And then there's nothing anybody can say against it. And through that, there's those thousands of young people who have been living with me in this monastery, walking around being super lonely because there's nothing what can come close or what can touch them because the belief is stronger and you cannot dare to say anything against I believe.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: I solidified a belief at the beginning of the year that I will no longer ever take a client into a different container, like a friendship, especially a friendship. And just looking at what you were saying, Clinton, I'd love to take these questions to that. I've had some disastrous relationships because I thought that I could create a way to, for a client to become something else in my life. And I don't, I haven't quite figured out like if it's ever possible to break the, break the power differential that exists. So I just wrote it off at the beginning of the year. I said, no more. It's not even possible. Let everybody know that will never happen. Like ever, ever, ever. Cause it's just, it creates a mess later um, and I'm sad <laughs> but I, I that I don't know what else to do about it so I'll take the questions here.
0: thank you Vera go ahead oh well, I also
9: want to bring thank the you. Thank you Jenna that also the beliefs about relationships wreck relationships and I have had shipwrecked in my relationship many 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 relationships exactly because of what i believe a relationship should be instead of uh, being with what is what is or what is happening and i i had a relationship where uh, it was even trying to get out of the kind of traditional uh, monogamous um construct of relationship with all the different, um, assumptions of what a normal monogamous relationship is. And I jumped into a total, a, a completely different still construct of polyamory where, uh, there was beliefs that I, that I had beliefs about it. And one of the beliefs is that, that I should, you know, I, that things work of a certain way and I shouldn't be jealous, or I should be okay with this, or I should, so it had all these shoulds and beliefs and assumptions too. And because I was adapting to the beliefs and adapting to a, a fantasy, adapting to an idea of relationship, uh, of, of beliefs around relationship, what, what other people wrote about relationship, uh, it, sh- it shipwrecked. Because I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't being mean. I wasn't honoring where I what I wanted or what I didn't want. And so it, it, it really shipwrecked.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, while we're talking about this, I think we're just barely scratching the surface of how beliefs block and undermine us from connecting with ourselves, with the world, with other people intimately.
7: I I have a question. Go ahead. Have you explored the concept that this about beliefs blocking or like beliefs blocking us from reality is also a belief. And I, I wanna hear from you if that's like, what, what has come up for you, if, if, that, if that has happened.
0: The, the last time I heard that question was from my daughters who I said something like, uh, I don't believe in anything. And they they said, dad, accept that. Except that you believe that you don't believe anything. And so it's like, okay, okay. It's the the same as, uh, can you prove that you're a sentient being? Can you prove that you're conscious? Are you conscious? Yes. Can you prove that you're conscious? And so... It's this kind of a question where it's, a, it's worth introspecting about. You know, one of the tools from your possibility management set of tools is called the bullshit detector. And essentially beliefs, BS, bullshit, like belief system is abbreviated BS. Concept of you know b- belief system equals is a b is you can abbreviate it bs and so any kind of so then then what do you like this this is a serious question of any form of belief system whether good or bad right or wrong republican democrat etc cetera, green purple any any sort of belief system if it if it's involved if it involves beliefs. There's a, a bullshit factor involved in that, a heavy duty bullshit factor. And so the question, I mean, for me, my ongoing question is I've I've redesigned my bullshit detector to have half of it I- include me. So I'm trying to go, is this bullshit? Is this bullshit? To what degree is this bullshit? And so I I consider it a really valid question. And but it's one that it's most effective if we ask ourselves or ask our possibility team. So I think that for me, one of the biggest values I've gotten from my men's group and my possibility team have been detecting my belief systems, detecting the bullshit. So I, I consider it a completely ongoing and valid question at any moment. Like to what degree are you bullshitting yourself right now? About what your what belief are you holding, and and I don't know. I mean, what is it like to be with a person who's like that? What is it like to be with a person who tolerates does not tolerate bullshit, at least unconscious bullshit? So then you then you start to enter a different kind of a conversation which we're going with with extraordinary in the space of extraordinary relationship. And somebody says, how are you? And you, you say, I feel, I feel like a rainbow emerging out of the sky over a crystal blue ocean with the sun shining at my back. This is how I am. And then, okay, is that true or not? I mean, is, that, is it real or not? How, how can you quantify the experience of feeling like a rainbow emerging over the crystal blue ocean. How, do, how does one, at the same time, it has an effect. Just like to, to stand in or claim that's what you're experiencing in the moment has an effect. It has a, a result. And is the result bullshit? Well, maybe, maybe not. Like you can try this as an experiment on yourself. You know if, One of the biggest learnings I had about this was I was working in a small training company in Prescott, Arizona, and my job was to try to convince people to come and do our training. I was the enrollment manager. So I would call people up on the phone, and and I would try to convince them to come and do this transformational training, where I had been in myself, and I knew how valuable it was. But the thing was, at that time, I did not know about depression. I did not know that anger and sadness mixed together caused depression. And so I would go in the office to some degree depressed and I would feel it, it would be horrible. I didn't even wanna pick up the phone. How am I gonna to talk to somebody to do, and do a transformational training when I'm feeling you know, 42% depressed? But then I would pick up the phone and I'd start to talk to somebody and within 15 seconds, the depression was completely gone. Was absolutely and was absolutely out of my body because I was creating value for this person over there. I was serving somebody else over there by creating possibility for them to handle their financial problems, their time problems, their self image problems, whatever it took, whatever was in the way for them to come and do this training. And we were collaborating together to solve these problems. I didn't have depression anymore for the rest of the day. And so, so this is. There has this kind of effect of creative, creative bullshitting. But the thing is, there's this line and you, and if you cross the line, there's this line of integrity or this line of somehow being responsible for what you're causing to happen over there in the other people in your world to cause that to happen. And is it valuable? Is it useful? Does it serve? And there's this line that you can cross really easily. And so it's, it's easy to try to think that if you can manipulate people to like you, then they actually like you. This is gonna cause problems. And so anyway, I, the question of, of the, the connection between a belief and bullshit is this is relatively solidly established. And that's what's being spoken about here in the book that if you have to believe something, you are like, for example, there's this question, do you believe in God? And then, then there's people who, is, who, de- who, who will use your answer either to support you or to kill you, whether you believe in God or not. So, you know, if somebody asks you that question, you have to be kind of really careful about your answer, because who, who's asking? Why are they asking? What are they going to do with your answer? I mean, it's a yes or no question. Do you believe in God? And it's like, what is God? Or what do you mean by you? Or what do you mean by believe? Or what what's so you can start asking all that, but you you know, this kind of a a question has no basis in reality because you know, God, whatever, whatever the God thing is, you don't have why would you have to believe in it? if there was a God thing, you would directly experience it moment to moment and there would be no need for belief. And so, and so the question, do you believe in God, tells you that the person across from you is so has such a high numbness bar that it, they don't get this, they don't know what yellow stuff is. They don't know what this love happening is or winning happening in a space or they don't get the field of consciousness that's informing them ongoingly they're, they're out of touch with that, and they have this concept called believe in God. And they want to defend their concept by killing you if you don't believe in God, in, in whatever they, if you answer the question the wrong way. In any case, this is not philosophy class. However, beliefs have a serious effect of getting in the way between a person and reality. And you might want to check what beliefs are operational, especially with regards. To relationship, so I saw Dor's hand up first, and then Ingrid. Dor, you want to go first?
10: Yes, thank you. I really had a lot of anger when you mentioned that the, that question, because in in the land called Israel, where I come from, a lot of people are using that as a weapon. Like, do you believe in God? Are you part of us, or no? And so actually, something that I want to bring up, I, I actually got it from my guru, Sadhguru. So he's, he's saying, like, when you believe, you, you believe in something, you not only believe in something, you believe someone. It's like you believe the rabbi or the priest that told you that there is God. Because he told you that because he believes because he read it in the book. He didn't really experience that. So it's like also when someone asks me that, I sometimes ask him, like, do you believe in God? And I'm saying, like, do you believe in who? Who told you? Like, believe who? So it's like someone give me the directions somewhere to, to the street, and I believe him, but I don't hold to this belief. It's like, okay, this street is over there, but I don't hold to this belief. So when you believe in God, you hold this belief that prevented you to go on a journey, explore that and then discover something and experience that. And then you know, you don't believe, you know. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you. Ingrid, go ahead.
5: Uh, I want to share. Um, There are also beliefs around words, what a word means. And I uh, make sometimes yeah, quite often uh, the, the experience with my husband, he has a so-called classical education. And when I use a, a certain word, he's, he's, he interrupts me and says, this word means this, and this is a belief. And I, I, I sometimes I, I, I ask him, try to understand what, what I want to say with it energetically. And he refuses. His belief is is a block. This means this, you can't say this when you say that in this way you have no education. And then I don't talk about that with you. And I'm uh, sometimes uh, there, sometimes I try differently, sometimes not.
0: (laughs) Gosh, this reminds me of one of the shortest dates I ever went on in Arizona. I was kind of desperate for a girlfriend and I ended up at a bar and I found this girl and I said, Do you want to go hiking tomorrow? She goes, Okay. And I said, Well, I'll bring so I'll bring us a picnic lunch. She goes, Okay. And so we drive out to the rocks and I unpack this lunch and I made one of my favorite kind of sandwiches, which was peanut butter, cheese, and lettuce with a little mayonnaise and mustard on it. And she opens the sandwich and looks at it and goes, you, this is not a sandwich. I, and I'm, I was stuck at that point because I, I didn't know what to say because it is kind of a sandwich. And she goes, I go, how can you say more about that? How is this not a sandwich? She said, you cannot mix sweet and salty together in a sandwich. And I'm, and I'm going, oh, how do you know this? She goes, my father told me. And, and this was the end of our date, so. It's serious stuff.
11: I, I want to share that I had a friend, I had a French education and we make French salads and I got <laughs> to meet Clinton and I made the, my first French salad where I put lettuce and tomatoes and raisins and apples and walnuts. <laughs> and Clinton was like, oh my God, I cannot eat cheese and apples in the same salad. <laughs> So we almost got there.
0: (laughs) Now I've been healed. I've been healed. I now love French salads, especially the ones that Anne Chloe makes.
11: (laughs) I I wanted
1: to say something else.
0: What?
11: That in, I didn't really get this thing about like shipwreck, but I get a sense of relationship where maybe especially in relationship where both people, like people on a path of evolution, that sometimes there will be a, in the relationship, one of the bucks will just flip, will just say, that is the belief. I will not give up for our relationship. This is, and it, but in a way it's unconscious. It's just, no, you're wrong. I cannot be with you. I cannot listen to you. I can't, and it's this huge, um, like flip. And I think it, it has happened to me where I was on the other side and not getting why this flip was happening. I mean, like I thought we were having a conversation. I thought we were, whatever, evolving, and then this other person refused to talk to me, ever again. And 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 then I'm now I'm sort of having this one wondering about, okay, when did that, when did I react in like that? Somebody was trying to talk to me and I flipped and I, and I cut the relationship and from inside it feels so righteous. It feels so they did this to me or they can't understand me or they, whatever the thing is. And so anyway, I haven't, I, I'm just with this question about when did my belief um, like put me to sleep? Like, like tighten me so, so strong that it was, I chose the belief over the relationship.
0: Yeah, thank you.
10: There's another side to the story of beliefs and that's how beliefs bond us too. And you know I can use that same peanut butter cheese and mustard sandwich story because you taught me to love those sandwiches and walking down the hall and talking to a guy who, and we had the exact same sandwiches in our bag and it was like instant friendship. And so so there's this other piece about beliefs really bonding people.
0: <laughs> I mean and <clears throat> I mean I mean, I mean, it's just a fascinating thing because we meet each other at this at this set of beliefs that bond us and there's these forces of evolution at work in our awareness And we grow we build matrix we get distinctions we do experiments we unfold new discoveries and then all of a sudden the the thing that was binding us then becomes a you know we some one of us grows one of us you know is, is not the same, holding the same belief that we were. And so like, how can, so it, it creates a kind of bond, but how stable is the bond? If the, if the bond is based on none of, neither one of us will ever change our belief, it doesn't actually fly in reality. And so I think, I don't know, I mean, that's another question, but ha- have people encountered one person evolving faster than the other or in a different direction than the other, and having that cause the relationship to, there's no more intimacy possible because they're just, there's there's a lack of intimacy because of that. So, I think somebody else was going to say something before. Somebody else?
8: Yes, I, I wanted to share about the beliefs, because I found out, uh, ultimately, that I have a belief, like, I don't trust any man, because I I discovered that I didn't even trust my father. And it was like, hided. I thought I would love my father, but it was hided that I accused him that he let my mother do all that stuff and he allowed that years being in that situation and it was so interesting how that belief that deep belief in me was connected with all my relationships how I created again and again men whom I didn't trust and to do that shift now to meet again my friend and Sustain that knowledge now and see how my judgments and what is all w- going on and working on to to come again to that same thing. It's not okay to trust men. How how much it is blocking intimacy is uh, really interesting to discover that for me. Yeah.
0: And you brought up another another
2: I thing have, called. I have, a, I have a question, Clinton. The, go ahead. The distinction is actually between knowing and believing. And there is moments when I just know and it's like that point of the edge when I just go with something that I that I just know. And then also I somehow I, I take the risk that it's another belief. I don't know until I have gone. And then I see what is revealing, and if the results are let's say enriching or expanding, then I know that it was the right thing to do and or at least it looks like. But for me, this is an important distinction that the, the, there's something which is different than a belief. And this is something I, I would call like a deep knowing or a deep sense of, this is what needs to be done now. And this wouldn't be a belief.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, I hear what you're saying. And at the same time, so often I have believed that I know. Yes. And so the deep knowing turned into more of a story that I believed in. I mean, because it, I make up a story then I believe my story is true and then I have this knowing. It's an experience I have these feelings. I feel sad or glad or angry. I feel that the emotions after I make up a story about a thing that I believe that I know. And a lot of this stuff has is is complicated to the to the level of Uh, Forcing us to pay attention in completely different ways to what's happening and what's possible, rather than relying on old technologies like believing or thinking that we know. And I think one of the ways that helped me the most was to shrink my now down, because what I may know now may not still be real now in that close of a now. So the, know, the now needs to be really, when when I've been experimenting with shrinking my now, really small, knowing doesn't have much weight anymore. Neither does believing. Neither does even feelings because feelings are transitory. Feelings go away. And so to, to pay attention and go along on the ride and not, but not put money on it, like not, not make huge decisions or make, promises or vows or something based on something that's so transitory, but it's more like, let's go surfing. Let's see how this works out. Let's play. Let's get on with it like that, rather than locking down into a, a knowing or a belief or a conclusion. Like uh, I've heard uh, uh, Lee Lozowick talk about a thing called no conclusions mind. And it's a state of refusing to draw conclusions, refusing to bring it all together, package it in, put a bow around it and go, that's what this is. Just refusing to do that. And, and, it, and it leaves you on the ride. It leaves you in the process. It leaves you with a, 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 like an unconditional gap where pos- new possibility can approach. So when you make a conclusion, it's like over, finished. It's a diagnosis, it, is, it has a name. It's been, it, and so this is a real, uh, it's a joyful thing for a belief system or the mind or for the box or something, but for reality, I don't think it, and in, in, in relationship, it doesn't really, doesn't help so much. So I, I think in a way we're going in that direction to find, to be able to create and hold and navigate extraordinary relationship involves distancing ourselves from a certain amount of certainty or uh nameability or um rigidity like and allowing allowing the relationship and reality to have more aliveness and more flexibility than we might originally have thought which gives us space to co-create in together and so i think that's where we're going with this Anybody so else I,
7: want to go ahead Yeah, I want, to, I want to expand on the concept of like having this endpoint like a, a belief or the knowing creating an endpoint and it's you know what comes to me is like there's you know there's people who say that, uh, that that clapping never ends, right? You just you just like finish and then the next time you clap it keeps you know it keeps going. There's a longer gap between one clap and the next one and it's like I feel this fe- when we talk about beliefs I have this fear that like if I have a belief I'm going to ruin something I'm going to ruin a relationship I'm going to like you know I'm going to destroy it and I you know it's like then when I think about this concept it's like well maybe there just needs to be a little gap in the relationship it's not it never ends a relationship between me and any other being never ends it's just the, the physical reality of it may go into a pause or something like that. But like, yeah, I, I I don't want to have a fear of, of I don't want to enter into a relationship with a fear of what should I do or because all that is even belief itself. And it's like, ah, <laughs> just, yeah. it's a lot to hold for me.
0: Thank you. James, go ahead.
4: Yeah, related to what you and I think Ambo were saying, it, it, about the um, sort of the, like I notice in myself a kind of a, there's a, a moment of wisdom, or, or Ambo was talking about knowing, and then it sort of gets crusty, or it freezes, and it becomes a belief. And I struggle, yeah, against this in myself. And one way that it's related to is, so it, For example, people, like especially women, often ask, when's your birthday? Because they wanna put you in a, or they wanna put me in a, like, in a box. And I have a struggle with this because I don't wanna be in their box. (laughs) But at the same time, I create social awkwardness and I'm like, and and so I sort of refuse to go in their box, but then it makes the, the interaction sort of go off the tracks. And I'm watching myself and I'm like, really? Like, are you taking yourself so seriously? Like, can't you just play along? And, and yeah, and I don't know, like, so part of me is like, this is ridiculous that I can't play along, but part of me is just like, no, I don't wanna play along with going in that box. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about what, you're, what you see in that for me to get out of this awkwardness. Yeah,
0: thank you. Again, where we're headed with this is the way you framed up the question is, tell me your birthday so I can put you, are you Sagittarius, are you Aries, what are you? And, and your wish to not be put in that kind of a construct and, and it framed up as an either or invitation. And so our, our reactivity to the either or conversation is usually defensive or offensive. And the, where we're going with this is a, another option, which is the nonlinear one. It's a, a, an, a, a direction of, it sounds like this is fascinating to you to try to classify different people according to their birth date. Can you say how that's so important for you? And all of a sudden you're in a different conversation. You know, sometimes I've answered that question, uh, that the way that I plan my birthday is according to the year on Mars. So would you like the, which is longer than the year on earth. So I can give you that answer, but it's not going to help your calculations very much, you know? And I mean, there's so many nonlinear ways to engage that, but to, to escape the nonlinear thing is not easy sometimes because it's packaged up really solidly, but it's, it's more of a yes. And it's, it's, it's a, can you say more than that or wow it looks like this is important to you or um, I've been thinking about what it's like to classify myself according to my um, mimetic structure rather than my date of birth so it, I will tell you my date of birth if you first tell me about your mimetic structure and they go well, what do you what is a mimetic structure and you're in another field already like that so any case there's the, the whole shift out of the of the either or framework is gonna be more and more important for negotiating intimacy.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, like that. yeah I, cool. I do it, but I think I do it sometimes unskillfully and then it, people just seem like you're being evasive. Why don't you just tell me your birthday? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, yeah, no, dude, you gotta practice. It's, it's yeah. not easy, but you have to shift all the way out into a completely different space. Yeah, Yeah. And it helps if you're authentically inquisitive about what's going on for them. That really makes a difference. Yeah. Thank you. And Jeff, yes, I did. I dudeed him. I dude women also. I dude dogs. I dude a lot of stuff. So I did dude. You're right. Was, was somebody else going to say something? I mean, look, here's the next sentence that the book says. The book says you will need to have some rather intense conversations, which is what we've been having, with people who have already been disassembling their beliefs for some time. So this is a hint or a suggestion. It's like having these kinds of conversations is not pointless. It is not, it is not just going around in circles. It's packing in distinctions. It's learning how to navigate dense space or dense intellectual space and learning how to negotiate and take, take, uh, take the people seriously. Take people have concerns. Everybody's boxes and everybody's worldview has some serious concerns about different weird little neurotic things. And if you take those seriously and engage them earnestly, this this is you build out relationship it's a kind of it's also a kind of intimacy and so when people offer to to argue with you or people offer to contradict your your statement then then hit it then go for it and go gosh yes i love these kind of conversations so where did that come from or what's the what's the construct behind that perspective compared to the construct behind this perspective? And what's the, what's the purpose of each one? And is it the same purpose or are they different purposes? And you can dive into it and the, the reason is it builds out your ability to navigate these kinds of spaces. So th- the thing is your box may have prevented such quote unquote dangerous characters from being included in your usual circle of friends. You get that? People who have these kinds of questions or beliefs or positions or those, you may have excluded them from your circle of friends because they seemed dangerous to your box. So your box may automatically exclude those characters from your world. But these people are never far off. When you are clear about wanting to floss your mind of beliefs, helpers will pop out of the woodwork. So even in this team here, there's amazing mind flossers in this team. I, maybe you're picking it up, but there's crap that gets stuck in the, between the memes in our brain. And, and until you get in there with the mental floss and pop these like irregularities out onto the table or onto the mirror so you can look at them together, then if you don't do that, they're stuck in there. And so it's great to do this, to, to uh, have this kind of a conversation. And Chloe and I, or she set up actually in the trainer path uh, a um, a Dharmic debate um, in the the distinctions. It was a distinction battle um, that that uh, she arranged between people on the trainer path, where we would defend a distinction in possibility management with and and what and the distinction was radical responsibility. I think. Can you say something about that?
11: Yeah, it was, there is no we in radical responsibility or in responsibility. And I mean, in a way it was amazing because, because I, I mean, if I would listen to that, it's recorded, you can, you can listen to it. I I can post it in the, the study group. And but there's a way that we can all. There's also this way that we can see the belief that we have about what radical responsibility is, or what we is, and how how those things come together or not. And but it was also this battle for the same thing. Like we were all we were all on the same team, um, really fighting to get to get this clarity and to floss, I guess, to sort of mental floss, um, this irregularities around the experience, actually, of of radical responsibility. And I mean, I just, um, I, about what sort of Emba and said, it's like, I think there's a difference between there's an experience, like, I don't know, there's something called experience. And, and and that w- we can speak from that, or we can move from that. And, but it, I think what I, what I personally choose is instead of being sure of my knowing, which is for me, it's such a, my box freaks out to try to be sure of my knowing is, okay, I am doing an experiment. Hmm. I am do, I'm doing an experiment and it's working more or less. And it doesn't mean that I won't protect it with a sword of clarity. It's not because the first person say it's wrong that I'm be okay. Um, but I, I, it's, it shifted a lot in my life when I started um, interacting with it and with people with what is the experiment we're doing at the moment. And, and so, And then we can change it, it can be maybe it's not the appropriate experiment there's other experiments to be done it could be shifted um it I, I don't know it's it helped me
0: so the the practice thank you the practice that you could take to your possibility team for example if you want is just called distinction combat it's called the distinction combat and your your defi- your passing back and forth you're facing into is how to work with this distinction and deepening the distinction in your context of the space so it's a fabulous uh, uh, what do you call it process it's a fabulous process so and it i i want to finish this sentence that says when you were clear about wanting to floss your mind of beliefs helpers will pop out of the woodwork so I'm, the offer is: anytime you want to have one of these conversations, throw it up on our on our uh, Telegram page, and somebody can, can take you on. You know, you can. It's worth having these discussion there. And your intentions in these conversations can be to take apart your own beliefs before your beliefs take apart your chances to be an extraordinary human relationship but taking apart your beliefs. So there's a a little box here. I'm not going to show it to you because there's no diagram, but it's called the map of the technology of beliefs. Here is a little list of observations about beliefs. Nothing in this list is to be believed. The list is offered here as a map to use while making experiments to find out how beliefs actually work. So a map is not true or false. It is not A map is not to be believed. A map simply offers clarity, a certain level of clarity, and it's either useful or not useful. So in this map, it has five points. Point number one, beliefs are a band-aid, a plaster placed over a hole on the inside of your box so that you do not have to experience not knowing. Point two, beliefs have no relationship to reality at all. Point three, any person can have any belief about anything. Four, there is no objective hierarchy of beliefs, so no one belief takes priority over another. And five, if you make beliefs valid in your world, then you will unavoidably have a war between your belief that says this is right and that is wrong and another person's belief that declares with equal fervor the exact opposite. And gremlins love this shit. Gremlins love this good, bad, I'm right, you're wrong, this kind of, uh, of war battle, of a, of a belief battle. They love that stuff. <clears throat> but... If any person can have any belief about anything, then beliefs are about 10 cents for a dozen. So you can get beliefs really cheap. And you can just uh, carry a little packet of beliefs around and ever you ever have to use one, you can can give it away to the poor beggars who are sitting on the street. They're asking for something, you can give them your beliefs and see what they can do with it.
2: I would like I'd like to add something um,
0: we're listening.
2: I, I'd like to add something about the knowing and I I want to clarify what I went what I meant with knowing because it's like knowing is for me is not like I know it is like this knowing is now it's the moment for making this phone call go so I. I want to have a restart or a redo and saying, this is more like, I actually don't know what the word is for that. When I just know this is the time for, it's the time. This is the moment for this. And I just do it. It's, I I know it's the right thing to do. And so it's, it's rather an intuition or rather um, moment of clarity so I just want to plant that that this is what I meant with knowing
0: all right thank you there's a section right here in the book that says discover the part that is not an animal and I don't know what it says but I'm going to read it Just like animals, we human beings eat. We shit, we mate, we play around, we get sick, and we die. Physically, we are animals. Physicality dominates much of our experience, and there are more levels to being human than just the animal part. Practice is a way of discovering those aspects of ourselves that are not animal. So this is discover the part that is not an animal. Here is an experiment to do several times that will help you to discover and clarify the difference between your animal parts and your conscious human parts. Sit cross-legged on the floor or upright in a straight back chair. Carefully stretch your arms straight out sideways with your fingers pointing towards the sky and your palms facing away from you. So it's like your hands are out like this. Your fingers are pointed up, but your palms are away from you. Your hands are out to the side. So you sit like that. All right, take a deep breath and relax into that position. Stay in that position for 20 minutes. Within a short time, you will be intimately involved with distinguishing the difference between animal and spirit. The animal part will be feeling pain in your shoulders, in your wrists, in your back, your arms, your neck. Soon the pain is compounded by shaking muscles, sweating, moans, contortions, nausea, and so on. The animal part is screaming at you. What, you fucking crazy? This hurts. You are hurting me, you idiot. Ow, ouch, oh, ah, stop this. Hey, it's hurting, I'm gonna die. This is what the animal part does contrary to your animalistic certainty of impending doom you will not die not from this no matter what it feels like no matter what the animal is screaming at you you will not die from holding your arms out sideways with your fingers towards the sky and your palms facing out you may have sore muscles for a few days after that but there will be no permanent damage In this experiment, you will notice that the animal tells you to put your arms down as soon as it reaches some level of discomfort. Your spirit, your volition, your conscious will has the ability to not obey the commands of your animal part. The value of this exercise, you can distinguish Your spirit can keep your arms out there for 20 minutes or even longer, though keeping your arms out can be excruciatingly uncomfortable for the animal part in you. If you do this experiment, plan to do it more than one time. The second time you do it, like on another day or a week later, the second time you do it, you will have a better idea of what was happening the first time. Learning to not obey the animal's every whim is a step in the direction of developing discipline. It's an experiential distinction between spirit and animal. Developing discipline lets you differentiate your spiritual body, your energetic body, your archetypal body from your physical animal body and its limits. So it helps you distinguish that. So I did not start counting the time for 20 minutes so I and I did not say you have to do this so all of you people who are holding your arms out it's not my fault do whatever you want so you know at any time in a talk standing in line in a post office wherever you are you can hold your arms out like this and just start going oh this hurts or, or I'm, I'm not putting my arms down or being silent and Buddhist and just holding your arms out. But this is a fantastic uh, an exercise that builds matrix. And it builds a matrix that differentiates between the, the archetypal, energetic, you know, the being part of yourself and the animal part of yourself, which is essentially avoids discomfort. I think the beginning of this exercise when your mother serves your, your dinner and, and sees what you eat and what you do not eat and says, eat your beans. You know, and then there's this, you know, there's this battle between <laughs> the animal part that goes, I hate beans. I'm not eating those beans. They taste bad. I want to throw up when I eat beans. And the the mom part that says they have vitamin B, D, E, F. You need all these vitamins and it has bulk and it has protein, you eat your beans. I cooked the beans, I paid for the beans, anyway. So this is the part of discovering what is not an animal in yourself. How are we doing? It is 6.15, we have the next section is called Hooked or Not Hooked, and I think it's relevant.
11: I just want to share that I I mean, I, I, I had that realization before, but I used to be a professional swimmer, and I swam for 25,000 kilometer. And I think it was when I was swimming that I really started experiencing the, the distinction between my will and my physical body and how much I could just keep swimming and just keep swimming. And it was, and it blew my mind each time that I could keep swimming. And one thought could make me stop like if I believed uh, those kind of voices I can't like the believing the really this belief I can't I have to stop I'm sick and then my whole body would 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 stop and anyway it was it's I still have it in me this experience of the distinction and also the how the belief are so strong in in and how we can inhabit them completely and believe them
1: completely.
0: Thank you. Anas, go ahead.
4: About the thing of knowing something, there's this um, well-known sentence, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. And I really love this. And every time I think I made a decision and I know really something, uh, sooner or later it happens to me that I have to think over because I learned something and that can scramble everything I decided before. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And so these are things to keep alive in us when we're trying to relate because it's, it's so, this whole reactivity thing where we're going right now with being hooked or not hooked is, is such a uh, powerful and seemingly irrefutable condition of being reactive. Like, I hate this, that's wrong. I have to have it this way. I can't do this, this reactivity. It's so visceral, it's, it feels really, it feels like we know. And at the same time, if, if you don't have this gap between what, you know, the dad comes home, he says, honey, I'm home, where's dinner? And there's when there's no gap in here that has to do with reality, then, then there's this conflict between well, the patriarchal dad has to come home and dinner has to be on the table and the children have to sit next to me quietly while I eat my steak or whatever. This whole fake world gets built up out of these, out of this uh, refusal to enter reality. So, it's, so what, we're, what we get to do is face all of those things in ourselves and then you go meet somebody who hasn't done that work yet and they're not facing those things in themselves and they think those things are still real, what are you going to do about it? That's where it's really useful to have this distinction about being hooked or not hooked. So I think I'll read for a while and then we can jump back into discussing it. I'm on page 136, section 6K, hooked or not hooked. Extraordinary human relationships depends on you staying unhookable. Being unhookable means having the capacity to act independently from the circumstances, no matter what the circumstances are. A hook is any stimulus that might trigger in you an automatic emotional reaction. The list of potential hooks is endless it can drive you instantly nuts if somebody chews with their mouth open or rings the doorbell twice instead of just once or insinuates that you're stupid or criticizes your religion or brags about their children's grades compared to your children's grades or give solutions to problems when they're not asked for These things can drive you completely crazy if they continuously talk and don't give you a chance to talk or if they make house decorating suggestions in your living room or if they refuse to tell tell your birthday. That one's actually in there. (laughs) If you refuse to tell your birthday, it can drive people completely nuts or give away a movie plot before someone has seen it. Don't ever do that to me and so on. So, so these are things that are these are hooks. Obviously, it is not you that gets hooked. It is your box that gets hooked. You can prove this because different hooks catch different kinds of fish, meaning what the hooks that one person's box may, may that hooks one person's box might be invisible, to the next person's box. So the the instant you are hooked, you lose access to other possibilities other than your box's mechanical reactions. You forget what extraordinary and archetypal possibilities are and how to go there. You are stuck in ordinary human relationship. The instant you get hooked, the brain dumps a truckload of chemicals and hormones into your blood system, and your adrenaline shoots through the roof. You cannot hide being hooked because everybody around you sees and feels the side effects of you being hooked. It takes a minimum of 15 minutes to metabolize the chemicals out of your bloodstream and return to normal again. 15 minutes, you will never get back. Each of us contains a variety of internal characters or parts, one of which, known as the gremlin, derives great joy by hooking other people, particularly other people's gremlins. Some gremlins entertain themselves by seeing how many people they can hook in one minute. Because once a person is hooked, the gremlin has won, taken over the space. Hooking others is also a strong defensive strategy for the box because once you have hooked someone else, they have no power to create unpredictable behaviors back at you. Once they're hooked, they're on automatic. So it's a great defense strategy to hook somebody else. Anybody use that strategy, by the way? If you can get somebody hooked, they're powerless. Anybody clever enough to do that? Excellent, excellent, well done, okay. Human beings are so easily hooked that if you actually succeed at becoming even partly unhookable, you almost seem inhuman. Did Anybody ever have that experience that you've been so unhookable that other people think you're not, you don't even care? Anybody have that? Yeah. Because it's so human to be hookable. If something's happening and you're not hooked and you don't react, people think you're just not even touchable. You're not a human being. What they're really thinking is, I can't control you with with my hooks. That's what you're out of my control, It freaks them out. And so, you know, if you are out of somebody else's control, you can be in relationship with them if you are not out of their control, if they can push your buttons and hook you, you can't be in relationship with them. You know, they just get a robot, a machine. They push the button, boing, they get some response. You push a button back, another response. I and mean, if you go to a cafe, you can see people doing this to each other and they're both talking at the same time and reacting and doing all this stuff. And they, they're calling it a conversation. But it's amazing to sit next to them, just look at them and they're both talking at the same time, pushing each other's buttons and all this box-to-box reactivity. So staying unhookable while still remaining human is an art form. That's what we're that's where we're going. Staying unhookable while remaining human. Staying unhookable does not mean to not feel, or to be isolated, or to shut down yourself, or be numb. It's not what it means to be unhookable. Unhookability is not a wall. Unhookability is not just a, a high numbness factor and a big uh, cutoff, it's not that. On the, Staying unhookable means that you perceive the hooks with great sensitivity and precision while still being compassionate. So one of the ways to be unhookable is to shift slightly into a different space before the hooks have a chance to set into the psychological flesh of your box. You're staying connected, you're staying in relationship, you are listening precisely with great sensitivity to the hook with precision and sensitivity and you shift slightly into a different space where the reality that that hook is trying to grab onto does not exist. You stay totally in relationship. Staying unhookable is not so different from bullfighting. The Toreador knows that a bull performs certain predictable movements, which are neither good nor bad. They are simply the movements that bulls make. To interact with the bull, the Toreador stands with his red cloth to his side, not in front of him. The bull automatically goes for the red cloth. With the cloth held to the side, the bull runs past while doing no harm. The Toreador stays in contact with the bull but does not get hit. If the Toreador holds his cloth in front of him, he would bullfight no longer, he would be hooked. So this is a huge thing. I've used it a bunch. There's on the, um, I've demonstrated it on, I think it's a demonstration video number two on the Create Possibility website. There's a fantastic demonstration of a woman learning to do this in her world. And she still does it. She's a, a theater director. She calls herself a theater witch now. And she's uh, learned in that moment to hold the cloth to the side rather than in front of her. In her whole life before then, she was holding the cloth directly in front of her, wondering why she was hooked. The bull runs towards the flag. You hold it here, you get hooked. So hooks can be anything. They can be looks, gestures, sounds, physical objects. So you cannot stay unhookable by simply trying to avoid hooks. You know what I mean? Like, if you think the thing's a hook and you avoid it, it's not going to make you unhookable. That will not do it. A true capacity for staying unhookable emerges through first admitting that you are indeed hooked when you realize that you are hooked. I mean, imagine that. Imagine what it would take. Everybody around you can feel your the adrenaline, the nervous system change the whole your face changes your posture changes everything changes you're hooked and then you go i'm not hooked i'm not hooked and everybody going excuse me you know this reactivity this thing is the hook that is it so it doesn't so the first step towards this is to admit you just go hooked i'm hooked my box is freaking out got me, I'm hooked. And, and really say exactly what hooked you. You know, when you said it with this tone in your voice, my mind thought this and my box goes, never, I'm never going to submit myself to this. And here it is happening right now. just, and you put it on the table, you just put it, you put and that, what that does is it educates your box, that being hooked is not going to save it. It educates your gremlin that it cannot use this to get an adrenaline hit because you're putting it on, you're making it not secret anymore. You're showing everybody that you're you're noticing what's happening. You're going, you reveal your weapons, you reveal your reactivity and put it out on the table. So the first thing you do in you establish relationships where you just go, I'm hooked. I need the I need emotional healing process about this. You write down the hook and and then it changes everything in your body just to take responsibility for your hook for the hookability. You're taking responsibility for your hookability. And as soon as you make that a practice, you'll things will change really fast for you. You just start putting your hooks on the table, doing the emotional healing processes, the whole structure will change around. And you'll have to and you'll start feeding your gremlin something other than being hooked. So a true capacity for staying unhookable emerges through first admitting that you are indeed hooked when you realize you are hooked. Start by naming your condition. You just say, I am hooked. And it helps to put your hand up. I don't know why. But when I've done that, I just go, I'm hooked. You put my hand up. Notice what it feels like to be hooked. How often it occurs. How long the hooking lasts. And what your what hooked you, what your hooked reaction patterns tend to be. Consciousness creates freedom. So that's what's happening here is you're building up awareness of your structure that's hookable. And you you keep putting it on the table, putting it out there in front of you and becoming aware of it. Your ability to stay unhookable matures through increased awareness of your boxes buttons, your hookability. Here are some common symptoms of being hooked. Feeling offended or insulted, which means being stressed or worrying or disapproving. This is all a symptom of being hooked. Another one is swearing, striking out at someone, destroying, attacking, taking revenge. So these are all signs of being hooked. Making, so, so a lot of people don't know that. You're driving down the road, somebody goes, you asshole. And, and somebody cuts across, you know, and that, that swearing thing, this is being hooked. And it causes the same whole reactivity. It's feeding the gremlin. It's an unconscious reaction. So um, just notice it. Here's another way of being hooked. Making physical gestures or faces, giving the finger, sticking your tongue out, rolling your eyes. All of these things are being hooked. Another one is emotional reactions, uncontrolled rage, childish fears, or sadness. God, this list is long. Another one is expressing violent temper, feeling glad when someone else feels pain. That's being hooked. Another one is Feeling as a victim, sacrificing yourself, thinking I have to do it, nobody else is doing it, being disgusted. Another one is resenting, judging, criticizing, blaming, or threatening. Another form of being hooked is trying to be right, defending yourself, justifying yourself. Another one is role playing a character, in, 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 in like imitating someone, being inauthentic or overdoing it or underdoing it another one is going numb being indifferent as opposed to being neutral so being numb is different from being neutral another one is pouting sulking making excuses giving up hope or resignation another is being cynical ironical being self-important, bragging or exaggerating. Another is to being stuck in linear thinking, trying to be prepared for anything. So in a way, if you rehearse what you're going to say before you actually need to say it, that rehearsal is you're already hooked. You're already reacting to something that's not right in front of you. Another one is competing, challenging, comparing yourself with others, being envious, being jealous, all that. That's another set of being hooked. Another is excluding others, feeling superior, trying to look good, being arrogant. Another one is thinking that you have lost, feeling like a failure, and then isolating from others, feeling depressed. So feeling like you're lost or feeling that you're wrong and then isolating yourself. This is a, this reaction is hooked, you're hooked. Another one is defending your position, arguing, giving reasons, saying yes, but. As soon as you say yes, but you're hooked. Another one is being adaptive, like kissing ass, giving your center way, trying to be a nice person. You're already hooked. The the reaction is trying to be a nice person. Another one is manipulating, blackmailing, forcing your way, trying to make order of things, like trying to make it fit your kind of order. This is being hooked. Another one is complaining. Like there's a feeling in English called sour grapes, which, which means like it's just a kind of revenge thing. Saying, so what? I don't care anyway, like ignoring someone. Another one is backbiting or gossiping, triangulating, having arguments in your mind. This is hooked. Another one is forgetting your destiny or your bright principles. The moment you've forgotten those, you're hooked into ordinary. Another one is panicking, compulsive behavior, addictive behavior, or mechanical behavior. This is hooked. Being embarrassed, saying I cannot, feeling stage fright, or being stuck at go, like be, not even being starting. You're hooked because you're imagining something bad's going to happen, and and you so you don't take the risk, and you're just frozen. You're hooked at you're stuck at go. Another one is losing your attention, being distracted by advertising, snooping is like looking over other people's shoulders or looking into. You know, into their drawers or on their desk voyeurism. This is being hooked. Another one is hesitating, being speechless, stalling, delayed, oversleeping, daydreaming. These are being hooked. God, there's still six more. Answering questions with questions or saying, Of course, you know, of course. Instead of saying yes or no, you say, Of course. It means you're already hooked. Name calling making fun of someone, imitating someone else's mannerisms you're hooked interrupting conversations, having to tell your opinion, having to do some something all the time. he's hooked saying always which is a fake word or never which is another fake word or trying to be perfect or trying to be the best. this means you're hooked thinking that you can win you know, you can't win, you know, this is life. You can't win, you can't lose. This is life. So thinking you can win, trying to trying to profit, trying to have power over others, this is hooked. Trying to hook someone back, trying to piss someone off. And, and it's also pretending to be unhookable. You're already hooked if you're pretending to be unhookable. So And so on. Jesus. What else is there in life besides being hooked Door, what?
10: Yes, I, I hear this. I already read this list and I'm hearing that again. And I'm so liquid from this. It's amazing how many ways there is to be to get hooked. And I want to thank you for putting the, all of them here because I can read this list, I think, in the next few months and, and keep working with that. And I want to do it. And also, I wanna, I wanna say something about so there's certain people that get me hooked more than other people. And I found that in taking responsibility about that, I can make this person my unhookable trainer. So, <laughs> like, is every time is like, is I, I didn't do about the hand, but I know that every time he's getting me hooked, I'm, I'm saying, okay, I'm hooked. And I'm admitting to myself and, and I'm thinking like in what ways it caused me to be hooked. And then after a while, I, I go deep with it. Like, what is the real reason this person getting me hooked? What's behind it? And then I can do emotional healing process. And then I, I okay, this level, okay, I, I get that, that person, okay, I get that. And then there's another hook level. Like Then for, for me, I realized, for example, I'm getting hooked by, by women that reject me. So there's another level of getting hooked, which is different than this guy pissing me off. And there's all these levels. And I I really, I I think I got hooked so much in my life that it's such a big thing for me that I really wanna research that more. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I remember a time in my life I was in, in Arizona Irene, I'll, I'll just a second, okay, and then we'll get back to you. I was in Arizona and I was in this group and I, I started to notice I was getting hooked. And I said, okay, every time you hook me, I'm gonna give you a dollar. And so this, and so I did, I, I, and I did this for a month. And it, it was so amazing to watch how the first week or so, almost two weeks, I, I forked out, I don't know, 50, I don't know, 50, 70 bucks, really $70. I, and, then, and then it started to go down. There's something shifted. And so it was, I could feel the hooks coming or something. And I was, I was still in relationship. I was, but I was, could discern the difference about this the reactivity. And the pain of having to give the dollar was higher than the payoff of have the reactivity. And it's something changed in me. So this is also a way that works somehow. Irena.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, I just feel so um, hookable. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Yeah, and I hookable. want you to. Okay, thank you. I just want you to spell the word for me so I can uh, understand it better and study because okay. it is.
0: It's not such a common word in a dictionary. It's another one of those words that like got like a warriorist. It's not so much in the dictionary, but it's H-O-O-K, like hook, like fish hook. Hookable, A-B-L-E,
4: hookable. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
6: Clinton, in your list, it said that you are already hooked if you answer a question with a question and before you said like to answer the question of what's your birthday with like or to find out what's the reason why are you asking this like can you say more about can you say more about the difference of one being a hook and one being maybe navigating the space
0: will you do that please
6: yes so there's for me it seems to be like some sort of reactivity with having a question on a question so it's like i don't want to un- i don't really want want to answer you and and instead i just put something out there like like it's it's something that some no you have to go first this this kind of energy like i answer i ask a question no you have to answer answer my question first and the other one is yeah it's being not hooked and and like being centered and saying what I want to like making the boundary that I don't want to answer this question and instead using a question not to hook the other person but to shift the space into something else.
0: This was so incredible because your whole voice, body posture, energy field changed completely when you were defining the reactive one and the not reactive one but please watch this video again and notice that it's a whole energetic purpose change the quality of the of your voice changed completely your whole everything changed and so it really that was the demonstration of the difference wasn't even exactly it was what you were saying and, you showed it with your whole body, all five bodies gave it. Could you feel that?
6: Yeah, a bit, a bit.
0: Yeah, that was it was very
4: cool. <laughs> thank you. What was also amazing, Clinton, is that you had already answered the question by doing it. He asked you a question and you asked, about, you asked him a question. So it had already been answered, but sort of invisibly. Yeah, thank you. Beautiful.
0: It was, it was really the purpose, the purpose of it, the way of it, the purpose of it. The re- it's actually the results. What gets created from the, the hookability thing and what gets created by opening a space. And so the results can tell you the difference also. Yeah, thank you. I, I just wanna complete that section, it says, The above guide, meaning this whole list of the the qualities, the characteristics of being hooked, that is a guide, is a map that you can use to find out your X on the map. You can find out where you are. The moment you have any of the above behaviors, attitudes or experiences, you are hooked. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. It says that right there in the book. It says it there. It's a Monopoly joke. It was a, game, a board game called Monopoly, and it's a joke from that. So excuse me. It does not work to try to be unhookable once you are already hooked. Like I said before, the way out is you have, you admit. You be where you are and say, I'm hooked. The paradox of staying unhookable is that you will always have A box, psychological defense strategy, you will always have a box, and if you have a box, there will always be something that can be hooked into, the box is what gets hooked into, it's a thing that can get hooked into, so this is a paradox. Clearly, finding unhookability will have to involve numerous nonlinear approaches because there is no obvious linear approach. You have a box, you're hookable like that. There's a great website, I've mentioned it before, called Reactivity, and it distinguishes between different kinds of hookability. For example, the difference between buttons, hooks, triggers, traumas, uh, um, but, uh, voices in your head, and also imbalances in your physical body. These are all categories of kinds of of hook reactions and if you can tell the difference is it a button hook trigger trauma a voice in my head or an imbalance in my physical body you are way ahead you're way ahead you can really helps you to map out the kind of hookability so what follows in the next section which i propose we dive into next week are 25 experiments for staying unhookable most of these approaches for staying unhookable are indirectly explained in this book, and the terms are defined in the distinctionary, which is a, a website online called distinctionary.xyz. So if you don't, if you don't understand any of the words they are in the distinctionary, do not expect to already understand these words rather than looking for a detailed explanation of each one unzip your imagination and try a few of these experiments first, using whatever you would guess they might be to stay unhookable. So I'll just, I'll just tell you the first experiment, how to stay unhookable, number one, place 100% of your attention on noticing what is as it is right here and now in the moment put 100% of your attention there. That's an experiment. Cool. Uh, any questions or comments or sharing or deepening from anyone about this whole hookability issue and the importance of it with regards to entering extraordinary and archetypal relationship
10: spaces? I, I wanted to ask okay. if there is an energetic hook.
0: Or will you hold on just one second? I mean, yes, the answer is yes. So figure out what it is, okay? I just wanted to check if other people had had uh, who had not spoken before would like to speak. So for example, Jana. Go ahead. Hello,
12: I find Hi. I appreciate talking of chemistry um, that when we're hooked, we get that flush of chemistry. And I'm finding in myself, in my past, and observing in others that it can take up to three days to release that chemistry if it does hit buttons that go down to trauma and anxiety. And I've learned recently that physical activity is what will dump that chemistry the quickest. Thank you. So a good point that I've learned, too. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, and to take it further, if the thing is lasting three days, it's an emotional doorway to an emotional healing process. And if you do, if you use the doorway, if it lasts longer, if the, if the emotional reactivity lasts longer than three minutes, really, if the reactivity does, it's an emotion and it's a doorway for an emotional healing process. And if you do right away that emotional healing process, it will go flat. It will completely be gone out of your system. So we've, we've done that so often with so many people that it doesn't have to last three days. You just use it as a gift. It's a doorway for an emotional healing process. Do the process, half hour or an hour, you're, you're back to a completely different world, a whole new future. So that's, thank you. Thanks. Jana, thanks for coming by. I haven't seen you here before. Have you been here before? Were you here in the space before?
12: Uh, I haven't been here before. No, Nicole invited me.
0: Ah, great. Great.
12: Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I really like what you said about it being a gift, um, mm. because that is a gift. And I think it's a gift that most humans don't want to accept because you have to unwrap it and you know there's that fear of what's in that package but it's always a beautiful gift to to process it out and move on from that so thank you for using that term
0: yeah thank you i think people usually do not want to unwrap it because they don't have the distinctions about the wrapping they don't have the distinctions anger sadness fear joy feelings or emotions, high drama, low drama, gremlin, they just don't have these distinctions. So unwrapping it is not a, not a pleasant, there's no, there's no real way to unwrap it. But with these distinctions, it's a treasure, turns into a treasure. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody else?
3: Uh, yes, I I have a question because you said um, the first step is to admit that you are hooked and I can, f- I can I have this experience that it works sometimes especially when it comes to my mother box about yeah, being a mother what I should be or do as a mother mm-hmm. I can see how I get hooked by my 13 year old and then I can be com- passionate about it and yeah but there are many other areas in my life where I see that I go from one hook level to another
4: mm-hmm. even
3: if I admit that I'm hooked then I just yeah with everything what you said from the list can it can happen I like mm-hmm. I use manipulation or time my self stories and and it feels like I'm dropping from one belief into another even if I recognize that this is a belief like Mm. I realize for example I'm lacking stability and then I realize oh this is just a belief that I have to be stable or that there has to be continuity in my life and then there's the next layer of belief and the next and Mm. if it's so tiring i i have the feeling for example with my relationship that was shipwrecked i believe that i'm still in that that i'm still
10: Hmm.
3: whenever i have a dream or a thought or an idea i can i can go from one layer of being hooked to another while i'm not even in a conversation or Mm. or, there's nothing that could um, hook me. Yes, I'm I'm doing it. I don't know how, I I would not even know what healing process to ask for because it's so fast also, goes very fast, like a domino. I don't know if this is the game in English, yes. It's a chain reaction of hooks. I don't know where, where to start.
0: Can I ask you a question? I mean, thank you for sharing this. It's such a human, I mean, we can relate to this. And you've you've been around this stuff to be able to to ask, but I can ask you this question. But when, when this cascade of hookings, the domino effect of hookings, even inside of yourself, even when the person is not even there, Where's your gremlin at that time?
3: Yeah, it seems that my gremlin is weaving those beliefs into each other. That my gremlin is, yeah, very active in taking, yeah, taking it into the next belief. It's like knitting. Somehow.
0: <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds a bit like a gremlin feeding frenzy. And, and you don't have to have a, another gremlin across from you to do that. Mm-hmm. But if the gremlin is, for example, mixed in with your adult ego state, then then if it's it's mixed together in your adult ego state from a survival strategy as a child, you mix your gremlin in and then no adult can overpower you or control you because your gremlin responds. And so, but then the after effect is your gremlin part, I did this, is contaminated in your adult ego state. And then when uh, the feeding frenzy starts, you don't have enough adult to identify with because the the gremlin is inhabiting your adult ego state. And probably if you are interested in making a shift with that whole cascade domino effect thing that is exhausting, you know, it uses up, you can't sleep, it uses up your energy, it takes away your hope, takes away connections. When that's happening, if you want to change that, you might... you. The procedure is this decontaminating of your adult ego state from your grandma ego state. And I think we've mentioned that here a couple of times, but I think, do you know about that already? Habit? Have you heard about that?
3: Yes. Yes. I've started this process already with.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. With a good a, um, team. Do you have a good team with somebody who no, really knows about
3: it? Uh, no, not yet. I mean, I'm, I'm reaching out, but I I don't have a team that meets on a regular basis.
0: Yes. It doesn't, it's really one person. It's not really a team. It's really one person who has essentially done the process already, who can, who you can reach out to in those times when you don't have a grip on it, when you lose the grip on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's somebody on the call right now who's, who's has been doing that or is clear enough or who could uh, be a buddy or like a space holder for that process. The process takes a while. I see Vera putting her hand up. I see Sophia Magdalena. And so I don't know if you guys yes, want to- Yes,
3: I will reach out to both of you. Thank you. Uh,
0: for, for a partner yeah, also. The... So for example, Pairing Dor and Habet together, both of them having contaminated adult ego states, is a bad combination. You know, it doesn't work. I you know that from experience. You need to hook into somebody who's going to, who has a sharp sword, who's right there with you, who can say, that's gremlin, that's not. Take the gremlin behavior, put it back in the gremlin ego state. Oh, it came back again, put it back in the gremlin ego state. It's a step by step process and it really works. It just takes a while to do it. And it's a real lifesaver, It's really a lifesaver kind of process. I bet. Thank you very much. I'm good luck thank with you. that. We're voting thank for you. you. I know you can do it. <laughs> I know you can do it. Really. You thank know, it's not. You. Yeah. It's not so much different than trying to get off alcohol. It's kind of almost a 12 step program with regards to the, the gremlin in the adult ego state. It takes that level of. Work and it creates that level of change in your life that's so beneficial once you do it. And so, I, I know this from firsthand experience. I was 75% contaminated with my my adult ego state. It was 75 to 80% contaminated by my gremlin back around 2000 when I first discovered gremlin stuff and I realized it and I started to work on it back then. And back then we did not have the clarity we have now. We did not know how to do it. So it took me seven or eight years of hard work to separate those two. And so, but now you can do it in less time, but it's still a significant amount of time, takes up to a year even. Okay. All right, that was our time today together. Any last thing from anybody before we head back out there? All right, you guys, take care of each other, take care of yourselves, make sure your gremlin is over there, make sure the red flag is over here, and have a great week. Bye-bye.